Let's dive into the message. Uh, we are in a series, chapter two, and we are gonna go back in time, 4,000 plus years, to the very first invitation ever to chapter two. The man's name is Abram. He's gonna become Abraham. Abram simply means father. Abraham means father of many. So father, daddy. Abraham, big daddy, okay? You know what I'm saying? That's, what, that's what's happening in that moment. Now, Abram is uh, in the lineage of Seth. His family knows of God because Seth was the one you should show throughout the genealogy. They're the ones that still told the story of God. But Abram lived in a, what we call a polytheistic society. Bunch of gods, one foot in, one foot out. Um, lunar worship was really big at this time. And his family had set out to go to Canaan, which was gonna be the promised land that God had for Abram. But I want you to catch this real quick. It says in uh, Genesis 11. One day, Terah took uh, his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son's Abraham's wife, and his grandson, Lot, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was heading to the land of Canaan. So heading to the promised land, you can put it that way. That's where God's going to take Abraham. And here's what happens. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. Stop. Haran geographically is halfway to Canaan. It's a phenomenal picture. It's, I was going to start with Hebrews 12, but there's this amazing picture that, that Abram is with his family, and they were planning to go to Canaan, but they got there halfway, and they settled in a place that was good enough. And the invitation that Abram's going to get, and we're going to call him Abraham today, Father Abraham, come on now, what the invitation Abraham's going to get is, hey, I don't want you to live in a culture with one foot in, one foot out. I don't want you worshiping multiple gods. I am your God. We take for granted this moment that Abraham has where he becomes uh, saying yes to monotheism. I'm going to say yes to one God. I'm going to take my chips and put them into the table all with the Lord. I'm all in with God. Because really, if we could just be honest, there's, I believe, three different kingdoms you could say yes to. I added a new one recently as I've been studying. And really, uh, you want your heart to be satisfied. You want your life to be everything it's supposed to be. So you're going to put faith in something. It says in Hebrews, it says... It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called. Abraham, let's go. Leave everything and follow me. It's the call of God. And it was by faith that he trusted God's way was going to be better than his way. And so you've got to decide where you're going to put your chips, if I can put it that way, your life. There's the kingdom of self I've talked about. You may be saying to yourself, man, I, I got faith in how I do life. I'm going to put faith in my ways, my plan, my charisma, my strength, my smarts. It's got me this far. Yeah, it's probably got you halfway to the promise of your life. Maybe you've got some material blessings, but you don't have any of those heavenly blessings yet. Do not settle halfway to Canaan. Do not put faith in your kingdom of yourself. You'll never have what God intended for you. But some people put faith in themselves. Another uh, kingdom that people put faith in is the kingdom of culture. You look throughout the world, people are born into cultures, and it's one of the biggest enemies of our soul because culture will try to get you in the river of where they're going and say, just live this way. You do this, and then at this age you do this, and then at this age you do this, and if you do all these things, then will your soul be satisfied. But if you know anything about the American culture, the American dream is not what satisfies your soul. It's only Jesus. And then there's the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Abraham was promised. He was promised to be the beginning of the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why Abraham's so amazing is he didn't see it, he just trusted in it. Because for you to leave everything behind that is comfortable, comfort is the enemy of your calling, by the way. Oh, comfort is the enemy of you developing and becoming everything you're supposed to be. Now, I would, I would hope as I read this to you that you would see an invitation from God to your life. 
that he's calling you to a deeper relationship, that he's calling you to live a different way. He's calling you to trust him and not trust yourself. He's calling you to be counterculture, to turn this world upside down in all the right ways. It says this in Genesis 12, and I'm going to pray. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your family, and go to the land I will show you. Stop. That's his society. Leave your culture is what he's saying. Now, what's fascinating is we don't have to go miles to leave. It's a relational and a mindset. Leave your old ways, your old bad rhythms, and say yes to heavenly rhythms is what God's inviting us to do today. And here's what's amazing is this is an unconditional promise from God. He doesn't say if you do this or because you did this. He just goes on to say say these promises. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. If you ever study Abraham and Abraham, you look at the three biggest religions in the world. He is famous in all the religions even. His name is famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left. Stop. I love that. And I sometimes think that one of the biggest enemies in the church is just age. Young people think they're not ready to be called. Older people think they already had their chance to be called. Man, this is not an age thing, the church. It's a spirit thing. It's a climate thing. It's a calling thing. Man, the church needs all ages. It needs everybody at any season of your life to say, yes, for this season of my life, I'm saying yes to my calling. Don't let age disqualify you because you're too young, and don't let age disqualify you because you're too old, because everybody has a different age where they think is the perfect age. God doesn't have perfect ages. He has perfect callings. And so my prayer today as I pray is that we would look at the goodness of God. Now, you may be excited about this, uh, or you may hate it. Uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, As I put my message together, we're going to look at two parts of this story. One is just the character of God, the way that he operates in chapter 2. And then we're going to look at Abraham's life in chapter 2, and that was titled Faith to Flourish. But as I looked at it, it's about a 50-minute message, and so we're not going to go 50 minutes today, okay? Uh, now, some of you are like, oh, come on, man, preach the word. Um, we are renting this facility. I'm sorry, okay? So, so I'm splitting it in half. <laughs> we're going to go 25 minutes today. Who, who loves 25-minute messages? Raise your hand. It's all good. All good. Uh, nobody raised their hand. Okay. Oh, well. We got a spiritual church. Anybody who's excited to go watch football, raise your hand. Not yet. Jesus time. I'm going to go hard to the paint for the next 25 minutes. And I'm praying that as I speak truth from God's word, that it would increase your faith with God. Because a lot of people in the house, if I'm being honest, you got one foot in with the Lord and you're a Christian. I'm going to use quotes. Forgive me for saying that. But you got one foot in somewhere else. Your own ideas, your own ideals, your own philosophy, your own culture. And you're going to find out, and there's, movie, there's scenes in movies like this all the time that says, you know, like, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. You know what I'm talking about? Well, the Lord shows that your heart isn't big enough for both money and God, for your pleasures and your purpose, for your hurts and your calling. Some things have to leave. Your heart's not big enough for the both of them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let's bow our heads. Lord, this morning as we go in to look at who you are and whose we are, may we look at the opportunity ahead of us. That, Lord, you want to do a great work in our life, but also you want to work through our life. And so, Lord, I pray my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. Oh, Father, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? All right, let's dive in. First thing that we see from God, I'm going to share some observations about just who God is 
at this moment and who he's going to be in your life if you allow him, okay? First thing is, is God is a disruptor. Chapter two starts with disruption. Last week, I talked about that we all picture God as a deliverer. And everybody loves the deliverer uh, um, description of God because when we picture like, oh, God's going to deliver me a promotion. Oh, he's going to deliver me the paycheck. Oh, if I'm single, he's going to deliver me the spouse. Oh, I love God the deliverer, okay? Everybody loves the deliverer, okay? And then last week, we talked about Joseph, how God's not only a deliverer, but he's a developer. He's going to develop your life. He is going to develop you. And so we sometimes say, God, deliver me. But God said, I'm developing. Well, God's not only a deliverer and a developer. He's a disruptor. He loves to take your plans and explode them and then have you live his plans. He loves to take your way, disrupt them, and then have you live his way. Because your way does not lead to life. His way leads to life. I wrote a couple things down. I want you to catch this real quick. If you have a God who agrees with everything you think, you are probably your own God. All right? When we read the word, like, I don't like that. Thomas Jefferson, this is an amazing thing. He took the word of God, ripped out scriptures that he didn't like, and he called it that he's creating the perfect Bible for himself. So he'd read, don't like it, rip it out, done. Rip it out, done. And then he had a, uh, his own Bible with the scriptures he liked, and the ones he didn't, he threw out. Now, we maybe don't over the top rip out scriptures of the word, but we read past him saying, mm, no, nah, that's not for me. Mm, I get he told me to serve, but that's nah, just not rip out, not for me. For you to actually have everything that chapter 2 promises, for you to have the blessing of promise, you don't rip out the scriptures of God, you let them transform your life, and you follow the scriptures of God. Another thing I wrote down, if you live away telling God where you're going and what you want, you might be your own God. Because what happens is, is we try to tell God, hey God, I got a good thing going, don't disrupt what I got. But God comes into Abraham's life and says, man, I want to disrupt everything, where you live, who you live with, how you operate, who you worship, everything. I want to disrupt it all. I want to disrupt chapter one, and now have you live chapter two. I wrote down a, a simple verse in Hebrews 11. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land, and God would give him as his inheritance. This is Hebrews 11. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land, God promised him. He lived there by faith. Everybody say faith. Come on, it's going to take faith for you to live chapter 2. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by who? God. I mean, you got to let God build your life. And it will be disruptive. I think about my plans in my life. I'll never forget it. When I, um, I was in Washington, I was like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a youth pastor, then I'm going to marry this girl, and then the Lord goes, no, you're not. You're moving to L.A. I was like, what? So I moved to L.A. Boom, okay, I'm going to move to L.A. in about a few years. Uh, when I'm done with Bible college down there, I'm going to go back up to Seattle, get the girl, get married down there. The Lord goes, disruptive. No, you're not. That's not your plan, Tyler. Stop telling me what you're going to do with your life. So then after that, I stay down in L.A., and I meet the girl of my dreams. Rachel, come on now. God was building my life. Come on now. Thank you. Okay? And so he builds my life. And then we were like, okay, we get a call from a pastor up in Danville, California. Never heard of Danville, California. Okay? Uh, I thought it was like, oh, dang, come on down to Danville. Okay? And so, uh, just going to be honest, that's what I pictured in my head because I was from L.A., L.A. And uh, we come up to Danville, and they had two sidewalks, and deer were being released to us. It was like, I was like, this is like, is like Pleasantville. It's like freaking me out, especially because I was in Van Nuys, California. We'd have people like literally shooting guns in our city sometimes, people peeing on our church walls. It was crazy. Like homeless people just riding their bike home, uh, um, uh, naked down the street. That was Van Nuys. 
And so then I go to Danville, and it's everybody with a stroller. I'm like, hey, hey, howdy, neighbor. I'm like, where are the naked bums? Where are the naked homeless people? Where are they? Oh, okay, well, welcome, to, welcome to Danville, all right. And then I, I found out I was more like, welcome to Danville. Okay. Thank you. Welcome to, welcome, welcome to the East Bay. It's the whole East Bay. Hey, we live here. This is us, okay? Um, so uh, Rachel and I come up, just keeping it real. We come up to, to the East Bay, and Rachel and I look at each other and like, nah, we're, we're, we, we, this isn't for us. This isn't for us. So we, we drive down, and b- the Lord both wakes us up. I'm like, we're supposed to go there. The Lord goes, disruptive. You're moving. You're leaving L.A., the place you never thought you'd leave. Rachel was born and raised in L.A., UCLA, you name it, Dodgers fan. We're still praying for it. It's going to be okay. But only child, Italian family, marries me, disruptive. Lord goes, we're moving, okay? We go up here, but we go, all right, Lord. I go, what are we going to do? We're going to move back to L.A. in five years and plant a church in Pasadena or Newport or uh, Dana Point. Those are the three. Whoa, whoa. Um, so that, that was our plan. That was our plan. Year three, the Lord goes, not today, Tyler. You're going to fall in love with Walnut Creek in the East Bay region. You're gonna, your heart's going to break. I have a different plan for your life. God loves disrupting our plans to give us a way better plan. Here's how I roll now. Lord, I'm not fighting you anymore. Do what you got to do. I don't even pray plans anymore. I literally pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't fight him in any ways of my life. God wants to disrupt things in your life. He wants to disrupt the dirtiness of your life so he can actually restore you. I had a friend, and they have a little kid, and I hope this isn't too graphic, but I feel like it was an amazing picture of how God wants to disrupt our life and restore us. Is This kid was having a fun time playing with his toys, but his kid made a messy. Okay, can, we, can I say that, church? He made a messy. A stinky, okay? So the dad goes to grab his son while he's playing with toys. My buddy, this is my uh, friend, pastor, tells me about this. It was an amazing picture he shared with me. And so he grabs his kid from his toys, and his, his, his kid's like, starts losing it, like, ah, ah. And the dad's like, no, you got, I got to change you, okay? You are all up in your mess. I need, to, I need to clean you up. And so as the dad was cleaning up his son, it's just bawling his head off, like, what do you think you're doing? And it was this amazing picture, and we and him were talking about it. It's like, man, like, we will yell at God and cry at God and be angry at God because we want to still be in our own feces and play with our toys. <laughs> I'm keeping it real with you. Come on. Is that too far? Sure. I'm allowed to have one of those a month, all right? Not to one. I want to hear this real quick. People live in the garbage of the world. Your anger, your wounds, just the grossness of this world And you're okay with it because you're trying to find happiness. And God wants to disrupt all that stuff and say, man, let me get that stuff off of you. I want to put a new robe on you. I want you to think differently. I want you to love differently. I want you to receive love differently. But the junk of this world, the grossness of this world is stopping me from loving you. I'm going to disrupt it so you can actually be everything I'm called to be. My prayer is that you look at Abraham. And Abraham was in a gross, gross culture of idols. God called them out of the culture of idols. Let's talk about idols real quick. God wants to disrupt our idols. Missionary, uh, pastor goes over to India. Uh, pastor buddy was sharing a story, and I've never been to India and on a missionary trip. Uh, my missionary job is Walnut Creek. I hate flying, okay? Now, if God calls me to go to India, I will, but I've never felt called to another nation to be a missionary. But I believe God's going to speak to people in our church because we are going to send people out. I believe that. Goes to... India lands on one of those fields that, like, it's a small plane and it's dirt, and they're driving there, and they stop a couple places, and he sees people sacrificing chickens to idols. And he's like, where am I? What kind of culture is this? 
meets up with the missionary that used to be at their church and says, man, like, how do you do this? Like, there's this idol worship, like, right in the streets, people sacrificing chickens to idols in your, in your, uh, in your town. And the missionary looked right back at him. The guy was from Seattle, Washington. He says, man, I remember being in Seattle, and the way people would sacrifice is they would sacrifice their money and their time, and they would go to a stadium and worship a man playing football. Your idols look completely different than the idols here. They would go sacrifice their families and go for a promotion because their idols was promotion instead of their family. The sacrifice in America looks completely different. It's more deceitful and it's more subtle by the enemy, but we're sacrificing things to worship other things. And God wants to disrupt that sacrifice so you can actually live your calling. Man, I want to disrupt whatever is first in your heart if it's not God. Because I believe God's heart for his people and for me is for God to be first in my life. For me to live for him and him alone and for everything else to be a distant second. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Second thing God does in Abraham's life. Chapter 2. Is we get to say yes to chapter 2 because God is that good. God is that good. Sometimes we picture, have you ever seen those cowboy movies where the, the good cowboy has the white cowboy hat and the white clothes and, and the silver gun and then the bad cowboy hat has the, has, has the black hat and they're like, hey, this town ain't big enough for both of us. You know what I'm talking about? That's big on me today. You can hear it a couple times. Um, and so we picture Abraham was like the only one with, like, with, you know, with the white hat cowboy. He was like, hey, I'm the, I'm the nice guy in town and God picked me because I'm a really good dude. No. A- Abram shows this that his family, they were worshiping other idols. God did not pick Abraham because he was good. God picked Abraham because God is good, okay? Chapter two isn't possible because you've been doing a good job and God goes, oh, I'm so proud of how great you are. No, God is so great, he chooses the worst ones and makes them the best ones. He chooses the messiest ones and makes them the cleanest ones. It says, in jo- if you don't believe me, Joshua 24, two says this, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Naar, and they served other gods. Let's keep going. Genesis 15. Abraham has done nothing so far to deserve any of these blessings. Now grace is against earning, but it's not against action. Okay, grace is against earning, but it's not against action. AKA, I don't wash the dishes to fall in love with my wife. I wash the dishes because I love my wife. You know what I'm saying? And so there's this moment where God takes Abraham out and gives him a promise for his life. I want you to catch this real quick. And this is the goodness of God. It's an amazing picture. And this is, again, not the goodness of Abraham. It's nothing Abraham did, but check this out. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who will inherit my state is uh, Eliezer, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant my household will be my heir. You'll see in a second, God loves to do a lot out of nothing. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky. It's nighttime. He said, look up at the sky and look at the stars. Let's just, I, you, gotta get, you gotta put your feet in, in there sometimes. You gotta, you gotta identify with what's happening right now. If you're Abraham and your family and you, the, the whole squad was worshiping the moon and there, it was lunar worship was the biggest thing geographically in that area, you're telling God, hey, what are you gonna give me? Lord, how am I, how am I gonna be able to do this if, if I don't have a son? So God says, hey, come on outside. Look at the stars. 
And at this moment, I, I, I have to think that Abraham's like, oh my gosh, he's going to tell me I, I'm not going to have a son because, because of what I did, because I worshiped the moon instead of him. He's going to show me like, that I worshiped idols. He's going to, I'm, I'm going to be about to be shamed. You're going to take this moment, the moment where he's bringing him out, and, and Abraham knows what the sky looks like because they used to worship the night sky. And here's what he says to him. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. Stop. This is an amazing picture of what God is doing with Abraham and changing the way he even thinks. He says, Abraham, look at what everybody else worshipped. These were lowercase gods to everybody. Now what were gods to your culture will now be gifts from the big God. You heard what I'm saying? What, what everybody thought was the in place is actually a picture of actually what I'm going to give you. Catch this. I, I hope you hear this. I believe God sometimes wants to take you out and whatever you think is what a God is in your life, if it's finances, if it's people, if it's whatever, I think God says, come on, come here, look at this. This is not your God. If you follow me, this will be your fruit. Come on, stop worshiping what culture worships. I make whatever culture worships a simple gift. I can give it to anybody and I can make it more numerous than anybody else. Finances will not satisfy you, but man, you worship me, watch me open up the heavens. I'm not trying to give you a prosperity gospel. I'm just trying to show you the character of God. If you have a problem with God blessing, read Genesis 12. He likes to bless people. Doesn't mean there's not suffering. You read uh, Abraham's life and Abram's life, you'll see suffering and, and, and a struggle. But God's purpose in our life is to show us the world and say, the world is uh, worshiping everything. I can give you the world. Go aim for the world, you don't get heaven. Aim for heaven, you get the world. You hear what I'm saying? C.S. Lewis, not me. I'm like, oh, that's a good quote. <laughs> not my quote, I wish. But a lot of us are aiming at the world and trying to get heaven. But man, he's telling Abraham, oh, aim at heaven and watch me give you everything else. Don't even worry about having a son. I'm going to take care of it. And not only are you going to have a son, you're going to be the father of many nations. Third thing we observe from uh, God, this is amazing. Chapter 2 is filled with blessing, but that blessing comes with a purpose. That blessing comes with a purpose. We're almost done. Here we go. Um, so he comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you to bless and one of the things we say all the time is, what gets to us has to get through us, okay? And so you aren't blessed just so you can just, oh, I love my life, I'm so happy. No, blessing always comes with a purpose. We moved into our first church offices ever this last week, celebration, woo! This, this church plan is growing up, okay? We're growing up. Um, so we get into this, uh, this office, I'm like, man, like, how much does it cost to outfit an office of furniture? I don't know how we're gonna take care of that, Lord. All right, we'll see what happens, we'll see what happens. So I get, a, I get an email out of the blue. It's actually a Facebook message on Messenger. Out of the blue. Hey, I have no idea if you need these. Um, we have an office uh, that we're, um, we're moving out of. It's about 2,000 square feet. Bunch of chairs, bunch of other stuff. Desk, would you like any of it? And I was like, uh, hello. This is like two days after we signed the lease. I was like, uh, yes, please. The timing was unreal. Somebody who wanted it, they're going to say, we're going to sell it, but we just felt like we're supposed to give it to you uh, if you guys want it as a church. We wanted to bless a church with it. And I was like, uh, yes, uh, uh, we'd love it. So they sent us pictures, and we're like, we'll take that. We don't want that. We'll take that. No, thank you. That's actually what we did, but not like in that posture. We're like, uh, no, yes. Okay. So we got all these super nice things. Then we go out to uh, dinner with a, a couple from our church. They run an office supply company. They don't have anything in inventory. So it's not like they have like, hey, come to our warehouse. 
But the timing of it was hilarious. They're like, hey, you know, uh, I, I don't know if, um, if you guys need these, but the, we, we just finished up doing the Giants. Is Nick and Kara in the house, by the way? Nick and Kara Tuttle. They may be in the second service. It's Nick and Kara Tuttle. Shout out to Nick and Kara, okay? Uh, I got to give a shout out to them. Uh, they go to our church, but they, um, they're like, hey, the Giants ordered six extra standing desks. This is like $2,000 a piece desk, okay? Um, and they're, they're leftover. Would you like them? Uh, yes, please. Um, and so our, we get these new $2,000 desks in our office for free. Okay, so oh, I'm, just, it's, I'm just getting started. It gets better and better, okay? Uh, and then I was like, man, but we need a conference table. Okay, well, well, that's the one thing we'll buy. We'll buy a conference table. So I shoot them a picture. Well, they shoot me a picture of a conference table. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't like it. I was like, oh. Uh, it was a cheaper one. I was like, oh, I just didn't like the color. I was like, do you have one that looks like this? So I find a, a table off of Pinterest, and I send it to them. Hey, do you have anything like this around that price range? And then they respond back, you just sent me a $15,000 conference table. I'm like, I don't know. It was on Pinterest. I've never, I'm not in the conference table business. Um, the next day, they get a call from one of the tech companies that they outfit, and they say, hey, we have this conference table that we want to get rid of because we're going to redo our area. And it's like this $10,000, $15,000 conference table that they just need to get rid of. And they're like, uh, yeah, we know somebody who could take it. They get it, and they give it to us. So now we have a conference table for free, okay? Um, this all happened these last two weeks. I want, you, I want you to catch this real quick. Amen. Um, come on now. I want you to catch this real quick. There is something about the blessing of relationship. God blesses you to bless others. God blessed Abraham to bless me. Because through Abraham's seed was Jesus. Saved all of us. When you are blessed, it's supposed to go beyond you. That's the purpose of blessing. But the problem in the church lately, and the reason why I share this story, is we're so disconnected as a body of Christ. We don't even know people's needs. They can care of our friends. I did their wedding. So they're in our relational circle. And of course, when a church gets this big, it's got to get smaller. Rachel and I are realizing as a pastor, we can't get dinner with everybody. We had 10 dinners in two weeks. We loved it, but we're like, we can't have dinner with everybody. It was good times. But what has to happen is we have to get a church that's connected. And when one person in that sphere of circle in the church because there's going to be different pockets when one person in that pocket gets blessed everybody gets blessed hey i just got a bunch of tickets to the game who do i call the people that i know from church that i want to bless you know what i'm saying oh my gosh i just got a a bonus from work and i mean i want to take people out to dinner and celebrate these are all things man i've got some time today i would love to go meet with somebody your blessing should impact the people in your circle. That's the, the way it works in the kingdom of God. But the problem is we get blessed and we don't have a lot of relationships, so we don't even know who to bless. There must be connection for the blessing to flow. My prayer for our church is that when we say small groups every single week, every week, mission track, mission groups, mission track, mission groups, we have 180 people in small groups. It's fantastic. The reason why we're trying to get people in relationship because there is blessing in relationship. Everything in the blessing of Abraham was about relationship, about a son, it's about a nation. I don't see a crowd at church. I see a family. When you come in, what you see is how you actually operate. And I want to see people at the church and go, man, that's, that's somebody who's actually going to be a, 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 not only a friend, but a brother of mine. But if you come in and see a crowd, they're always just going to be a crowd. You come in and just see a service, you're just going to see a service. But man, the, the, the family of God, the church of God is supposed to be a family Open your eyes to the opportunity of having people in your life because we mourn with those who mourn and we celebrate with those who celebrate. Come on up, worship team. It wasn't 25 minutes, but it was close. I did, I did my best. Um, <laughs> last two real quick. 
Just five observations. The next one is God loves to do a lot with a little. Chapter two is a rhythm of God doing a lot with almost nothing. So we come to chapter two and we need to release the pressure of thinking that we're the one who makes chapter two great. It becomes a new rhythm because here's what happens. He says to Abram, father, I'm going to call you Abraham, father of many. He takes a couple who couldn't have kids and makes the nation of Israel. Come on now. The church today is is birthed by somebody who could do nothing but could do everything with God. I want you to change your mindset. Look at the, the, the Gospels, John 6. God loves to do a lot with a little. He doesn't want you to take any of the credit. When the scoreboard does look bad, man, that is God just setting it up so you can have a great testimony. My last point is somebody this is, I actually have two more. Whoops. <laughs> Let's see what I got to share this one. It's really good. Chapter two isn't about you being perfect, but following the perfect one. I got to share this. this. This is big. So he told Abraham, leave. Leave everything. Leave everything, Abraham. And, and Abraham, uh, he's supposed to leave his family. And it just says in Genesis 11, uh, 12, uh, verse 4, so Abraham departed as the Lord instructed, and Lot went with him. His family came with him. In that Genesis 12, there's a call, but then there is a compromise because Abraham doesn't listen completely. And there's a cost to the compromise. Now, God still blesses. Do not look at your calling as I've got to be perfect. Look at it as I have to be obedient. It's a process. So what happens is Abraham basically um, says, okay, yes, God, I'm going to make you, make you important. But then they get to Genesis 12 and 13, and they get to the land, and guess what happens? The land's not big enough for Lot and Abraham. And so there's this parallel that God says, okay, here's what happens. They, they have a fight, they separate, and then uh, Lot gets captured. Abraham has to go to battle. And there's this big cost to compromising. And really the picture what God has shown us even in that moment, I want to catch real quick, is when you say yes to chapter two of your life, leave the bad relationships and rhythms of your life behind. All right, God, I'm going to say yes to you, but I can bring money with me, right? No, money can't be, it's not money and God, it's just God. Well, I can bring a bad, when I was a youth, when I was a youth pastor, young girls would date the worst dude sometimes, and I would just be like, just knock it off. Like you said yes to Jesus, break up with that guy. He's just, he's pulling you away. He's not pushing you towards Jesus. Break up with him. And some of you, there are things in your life you said yes to Jesus, but the world's trying to pull you back. Diagnose what those relationships are and say goodbye to them. This is wisdom. And last but not least, Genesis 12, I want to go back to the very beginning because the Hebrew word of leave your country, it actually uh, is translated way better in the old King James Version. I want to read it to you. You guys want to give me a love show? Make me sound. Yeah, make it. Make me spiritual, bro. Yes. I love a love show. If you hate it, I'm sorry. I love it, okay? Genesis 12 says this. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, get out of the country. Get out. That's actually the translation. When he gets to Abraham, the, the calling is more of a get out. Get out of everything that you used to think. Get out of bad rhythms. Get out of bad relationships. Get out. But what I love about the Lord is you just don't say, I'm getting out, and you don't know where you're going. He's saying, get out so you can get in. Get into blessing. Get into the community of God. Get into the word of God. Get into the rhythms that I have for you. Get into a new way of life. When you get out, I'm inviting you to get in. Nancy Reagan, it's a famous slogan, just say no. In the 1980s. It was just say no to drugs. Great slogan, but the problem is that it didn't give anybody an opportunity anything to say yes to. He said no to drugs, but then what am I supposed to do? My life is breaking in half, and drugs are the only thing that kind of numbed the pain a little bit. What do I say yes to? And so what God is saying to Abraham at this moment is, hey, get out. Say yes to all these promises I have for you. 
And what I love about it is he doesn't stop there. Genesis 15, if you fast forward, it's the promise of Jesus. And he says to Abraham, I'm, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. And the covenant is between him and Abraham, but it's between us also. He says, I want you to get some heifers. I want you to get some animals. I want you to cut them in half and we're gonna make a covenant. And now in that culture, what that represented was uh, when you walk through the animals cut in half, it was saying, I make a covenant. This wasn't like a, oh, a pinky swear. It's a promise. If I break my promise that you're my God, you can kill me. And God's saying, if I ever break my promise that you're my people, I'll die. It's Genesis 15. It's an amazing study. Read it. And so Abraham gets everything ready. And at the very end, the Lord as a fire goes through. And you read it, and you're like, okay, so when does Abraham walk through? They're making a covenant. But only one person walked through the promise. Only one person committed to the, to the huge task. And what it represented at that moment was, here's the deal, Abraham. If you fail in this covenant that I'll be your God, I'll pay the price. I'll die for you. It's the promise of Jesus. And he says, and if I fail, you and you never become my people, I'll pay the price, which he never does fail. But it's this moment where Abraham understands, oh my gosh, my God is with me forever. Man, your chapter two is only possible because God kept his promise in Genesis 15 so you could say yes to Jesus. Get out of the world and say yes to Jesus. Come on now. Do you see that picture?